Well, good morning, church. Hey, thanks for being here today. It's been an awesome day to be to worship with the family of God in this place, celebrating all that Jesus Christ is for us uh, and does for us. We have so much blessing in him, and we come together on the first day of the week to celebrate that blessing that is Jesus Christ. Thanks for being here today to encourage uh, one another. As a guest, we want to say welcome and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. We're truly honored that you're here and a part of our service at Cross Point. Of course, our hope would be if you're looking for a church home, oh, we'd love for you to be a part of our Cross Point family, to join us in telling the story of hope that is Jesus Christ in multiple and different ways. Uh, Cale mentioned several of those ways that are coming up, and uh, I know God is going to bless you immensely in 2017. You've got a story that lies in front of you, and uh, he's got you all the way through. You've got a front row seat to what he's doing for you in this year. And so I hope that you'll take advantage of that, that you'll grab hold of the blessing that Jesus Christ wants to extend to you uh, this year. Some of those opportunities include mission trips right here in our Dallas-Fort Worth area that will happen this summer, but also to Kenya and Honduras. Uh, Rob and I are going to get to go to Honduras, I believe, and so it's going to be a great uh, summer to spread that message that is Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. Uh, Guys in our audience, I want to remind you that uh, our men's ministry is joining the hills over in North Richland Hills for the men's weekend, and that happens at the end of this month. If you haven't registered for that, you need to go ahead and do that. Get online and make that happen. It's going to be a great time to be together with a bunch of uh, guys that are celebrating Jesus Christ. It'll be a lot of fun to be together. This morning, we're going to be in John chapter 5, and so I hope you've got your Bibles and you'll turn with me there as we dig into the Word of God and continue to unpack the idea about enough. You know, God is enough. Jesus Christ has done enough, and I've had enough of Satan telling me otherwise. I want to lean into what Jesus Christ has for me and the blessing he's got for me in our life, and so I know you'd want to do the same. So this month, we're going to unpack this idea of enough and who Jesus is through the gospel and what that could mean uh, to you. I know that uh, for many of us, we are thinking it's too late. There's just not enough time to take care of the addiction. There's just not enough time. It's too late to take care of the divorce that I'm experiencing right now. It's too late. There's not enough time to take care of the estrangement that I feel with my family members, my mom, my dad, my siblings. There's just not enough time to take care of the spiritual aspects of my life. I'm just so busy. My calendar is so full. I don't have enough time for God. Well, our story today is going to help us realize that we truly do have enough time, that it's never too late to ask for help. It's never too late to ask God to come alongside you in your story and bless you in ways that maybe you never thought really possible. And so let's dig into our story this morning in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. It says, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of uh, Bethesda, with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, lay on the porches. This is an area where a lot of people in Jerusalem would gather that had an ailment. They wanted to get that taken care of. They wanted uh, something special to happen in that moment, in that pool that was right there. Now, I know that you realize that these people probably felt helpless in life that they did not feel they were complete. They had tried any number of ways to get that completeness, that wholeness, and it just wasn't happening. They felt hopeless. 
Now, it's interesting when you read God's Word, and if you do that over time, you'll begin to unpack and see things that maybe you never saw before. Sometimes it's a really cool thing, it's a big thing. Sometimes it's, uh, well, I I didn't know that that was there. It's not a really life-changing moment. That's one thing that happened to me as I prepared for this lesson. Some of your Bibles may not have verse 4 in there. That's because the earliest transcripts of the Gospel of John uh, did not have verse 4. But somewhere along the way, a scribe wrote in verse 4 to let us know what was happening at this pool in Jerusalem. Basically, what would happen is an angel of the Lord would come down and stir those waters, and the first one to get into the pool would be cured of whatever ailment uh, that they were suffering from. And so everyone had gathered around this pool for that special moment in time when that was going to happen, and the first one in would be the one that would be cured. Verse 5, we're introduced to our main character. Crowds of sick people came and lay on those porches, but one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. That's a long time. Now, we don't know if he had been laying here at the pool for 38 years, but we know that he wasn't able to walk. He was crippled. We know that he's probably been laying there for a long time because he's just there taking up some space, hoping for a little money along the way to feed himself through the course of the day, waiting for those waters to turn. How many of you have adult children that are at least 38 years old? Raise your hand. How many of you have been at the uh, same general job, that uh, same type of work for 38 years or more? Raise your hand. How many of you have been married for 38 years or longer? I mean, you get some concept then of this 38-year period of time that this cripple man had to deal with his particular ailment. I mean, it's an extended period of time, and you and I have dealt with things in the past. Some of that's going on right now, the, the coughing and the asthma, whatever might be happening in your life, and you think three weeks is too long to be dealing with that. But this guy, 38 years is quite some time with nothing changing in his life. He felt helpless. He felt hopeless. It was the same life, day in and day out. Well, let's continue reading in our story, beginning in verse 6. One of the men lying there had been sick, of course, for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. That is an incredible thing. This guy woke up this particular morning, no idea that his life was going to change because Jesus was on the scene. He assumed he would be begging for that money, just like he does every day. They'd be laying there in that uncomfortable position, totally humiliated, waiting for someone to help him out in life. Never had an idea that his life would radically change. And it's interesting when Jesus asked him this question, would you like to be made well? That seems a little offensive in our text to me. I mean, you guys have had uh, friends and family members around you most of your life, and if you were suffering from something like a cancer or some disease that you've struggled with over a period of time, and one of those people you knew came up and said, would you like to get well? Well, you might take a little offense to that. This is where we find our man in this story. 
The longer that I'm in ministry, though, the more I understand Jesus' question. Because there are lots of people who just want to hang around the pool. They're not real interested in getting well. They like the scene. It's predictable. It's every day the same chaos in life. So I understand where Jesus is coming from. In our own lives, though, there are some reasons why we may feel compelled to say we are the crippled man. We understand what he's going through. And I want to unpack some of that today in our story. Three or four different things that will help us realize where we're at in life. Reasons why we may not want to be healed. One is this, the fear of change. You and I in our life fear and are afraid of change that might happen. Why? Because even in a bad situation, it's predictable. You understand what's coming. I'm willing to take it. If I change something, it's going to be very different. I'm not sure what to expect. Case in point, very small compared to our story. Yesterday, Garrett and I were watching OSU football, and we barely got beat by Baylor. Oh, man, it was close. But in the course of the game, the television went off, and the, uh, the DVR thing said, reboot your system. We are like, what? <laughs> this is not right. And Robin, looking at Garrett says, well, I've got some friends who have this particular carrier, and they say they never really have a problem with that, but your dad doesn't like to change. (laughs) Oh, I felt it. I understood. Because I'm there just like you. I'm a little afraid of change. You're not sure what's coming down the pike. 38 years this guy has been down and out. It had become predictable for him. He knew what to expect day in and day out. And you may be sitting there this morning saying, Well, it's not a great marriage, but it's a marriage. We live in the same house. We get the bills paid. We're raising some kids. It's not a great future, but it is a future. I'm not necessarily doing what I really am passionate about in life. They don't offer early retirement. They don't offer insurance. I don't get pay increases when I think I should, but hey, it's a job. We settle for what we know. Because you and I don't want to risk. If we decide to change, there's going to be some risk involved in that. And so change is a fear factor for some of us. But not only that, also the denial of reality in our life and in his own life. The denial of reality. See, this man, 38 years, the same thing, day in, day out. He had lost sight of what could be. He lost sight of what God had intended for him. That dream was long gone. He had learned helplessness. In 1967, University of Pennsylvania, a psychologist by the name of Martin Seligman did uh, some testing on some animals. Now, he had a dog that was in a cage and he would apply a small shock to the cage. So the cage would give a little, little voltage. It was not, I mean, no animals were harmed in the course of this experimentation. I don't want anybody to get upset. But there was right beside it another cage, but there was a wall in between both of the cages. And no matter where this dog went in the cage, he would get shocked. And over time, the dog learned helplessness. He just laid down and took it. There's nowhere he could go to get away from it. 
And during the course of the experiment, Martin took away the wall so that it would be very easy for the dog to go to another part of the cage. And guess what? He still didn't move to the other part of the cage. Sometimes in our life, we have this thing called learned helplessness, that we lose sight of the dream. We lose sight of what could be in our life, what God has promised for us. I mean, maybe normal is just being around a bunch of sick people. Maybe that's your norm. It could be like the woman in 1991. She felt uh, a growth in her abdomen. But she thought, you know, if I just ignore it, maybe it'll go away. And some months later, it had grown to 300 pounds. 300-pound tumor. If I just don't pay attention to it, maybe it'll just go away. Maybe things will be different if I just leave it alone. And for some of us in our audience, we think, man, with just enough time, my marriage is going to heal. Things are going to be different at my house if I just don't, don't poke it, if I leave it alone. Things are going to be different with time if I just ignore the, the addiction that I have to that porn side or to alcohol. With time, my finances are going to just magically uh, fix themselves. I don't plan on having a budget. I'm spending more than I'm taking in. But maybe if I just don't think about it, everything will be okay eventually. With time, maybe my kids will actually turn out okay because really I'm being more of a friend than I am a parent to them. And we think if we just deny the reality that everything will be okay, things will somehow, magically, be the way they should be. But in life, we move along like that woman with the tumor, and we become ashamed of our condition in life. We're ashamed that we find ourselves where we are at. I mean, we don't want people to know about the tumor that's growing in my marriage. I don't want people to know about the tumor that's growing in my finances. I don't want people to understand and know about the tumor of sin in my own life. The thing that I struggle with day in and day out. I'm just too ashamed for that to really come out and be public. And we settle on the idea that there's not enough time for my marriage. There's not enough time to take care of the addiction. There's not enough time to deal with my children. There's not enough time on my calendar to do all the things that God has called me to do. People have asked me before in my years of ministry to help a family member or friends with problems, and I've discovered one thing along the way, that until that person is ready to ask for help, there is not much you can do to help them. It's a sad case, but there is little that you and I can do until they've made the decision to grab hold of the blessing that God wants to give them in their life. They have to ask for help. But like them, many of us are afraid of action. We're scared of taking action because if I ask for help, that means I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to have to make some change in my own life. It may be something that's at least uncomfortable for a little while, but I'm going to have to actually do something in my life if I want change to happen. Look what Jesus says in verse 8 of our story. He tells our crippled friend, hey, I want you to get up, to pick up, and to walk up. 
He gives this guy three different action verbs to take care of in his own life. Now, I want us all to understand and hear me loud and clear this morning that it is the healing power of Jesus that heals us. It is God and his son that makes us right. It's his redeeming power that he did on the cross for each and every one of us that makes us right, that gets us well, that heals us to become the person that we were created to be. But understand also, we can't just lay there. Our man in our story is healed, and he gets up and he walks. He realizes that it's not okay just to be chilling by the pool. And some of us in our own lives need to take that advice. I mean, look what he answers to Jesus' question for him in our story. He says, I can't. There's no one here to care for me. I can't. There's a great book out called Happiness is a Choice by Minerth and uh, Meyer. There are some Christian counselors. And in chapter 12, they make this statement that is painful, but I really like. They say, as psychiatrists, we cringe whenever Christian patients use the words, I can't or I've tried. Any good psychiatrist knows that I can't and I've tried are merely lame excuses. We insist that our patients stop saying can't and start saying won't instead. I won't fix my marriage. I won't stop the drug addiction. I won't stop using God's name in vain. I won't stop going to that porn site late at night. I won't stop being the friend to my child so I can be the parent to my child. I won't make time for God because I've made my schedule so busy there just isn't any. And he says, hey, I'm crippled. I can't get there. There's no one to help me. And folks, this is a huge piece of our gospel story that you and I live in each and every day. I can't do it. I need your help. That's what we have got to say in our own lives. No, I can't do it on my own. Jesus, I need your help. I can't redeem the situation, but you can. And I'm going to lean into you for all that blessing that I can possibly muster to make things right in my life. You see, our crippled friend, he, he understands the need that many of us have a hard time admitting to. I think it's interesting in our story that Jesus is there, but our friend focuses on the pool. Jesus is literally right in front of him. I think this is a funny part of the story. Jesus says, do you want to get well? He says, well, I can't. If you would move out of the way and get me over to the pool, how many of us in our life have a metaphoric pool? If I just had the right job, if I had more money, if I had a, a better spouse, if my kids obeyed me better, if, if, if. And Jesus is standing right there as we look through him and look at our metaphoric pool and say, Jesus, if you could get me over there, things would be a lot better. Our friend misses Jesus and focuses on the pool. Take a look at verses 10 and 11. This particular miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. Well, of course they would. 
They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Dude, you picked the wrong day to get well. You need to go back and lay down. And maybe tomorrow. How many times do we hear that from folks in our life at times? Some of us have those religious leaders in our life, don't we? Discouraging folks. I mean, people come to this family of God to worship on a Sunday. They come to connect group. They're part of mission trips. They're part of ministry and outreach. And sometimes all we can focus on is, well, did you see the piercings on her? Did you see how tatted up he was? He had a ball hat on. The volume on the video was too loud. And any number of peripherals that we focus on rather than knowing that someone is here who wants to be changed, who wants to be different. And our cripple tells those folks, no, Jesus told me to get up and walk, and I think I'll do that. See, for us, Jesus is the only voice that you need to be listening to in your life. Jesus is the way to health. He's the way to life. He's the way to the cure of sin. He is the only thing that you and I have going for us. What he did for us on the cross in that empty tomb is more than we could ever wrap our hands around, but we try to each and every day because we want to be a part of what he has for us in our life. I mean, at the end of the day, you and I can't worry about what other people think. We've got to lean into the voice of Jesus because he will guide and direct us. It's he that says, you're healed. Stand up. Let's walk together. Let me take that burden from you. He's the one that wants to bless us. Listen to Jesus. And our cripple learns from Jesus what so many others did in the course of Jesus' work. You look in John chapter 11, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Their brother Lazarus is sick. Jesus is in another town. They send for him. We don't know why, but he waits two whole days before he comes back their way. And by then, Lazarus has already been dead four, years, four uh, days and in the tomb. Family's weeping. Friends are weeping. Jesus stands there at the tomb. It's never too late for Jesus. It's never too late to tell him what you need in life, how you need to be fixed. It's never too late because Lazarus comes out of the tomb. Or Luke chapter 8, Jairus' daughter, he's a ruler at the synagogue, but his 12-year-old girl is dying at home. He comes to find Jesus in ministry, and he says, please come with me to my house. My daughter is dying. And so they begin that journey, but then halfway, the servants come from the house and say, Master, I'm sorry, it's too late. Your daughter is dead. And Jesus says, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. Everyone laughs at him. But at the end of that story, Jesus and the little girl walk out of the house together. You see, it's never too late for Jesus. He's enough for the situation. Peter, in his life, toward the end of Jesus' life, He follows Jesus after he's arrested. He's around the fire. They're trying Jesus, and he can physically see Jesus. He's already been told, listen, you're going to deny me. You're going to say you never knew me. Peter says, no way. I would never do that. I would fight for you. But by the end of that evening, Peter has denied Jesus three times, even using swear language. I don't know that guy. 
And when the rooster crows, he leaves weeping. Peter's now the cripple. He's hopeless, helpless. I'm worthless. I'm going to go do what I know what to do. I get in the boat and I'm going to go fishing. And in John chapter 21, they're fishing all night, catching nothing. And Jesus appears on the shore and he says, hey, cast your nets to the other side. They do, they catch 153 fish. Peter knows exactly who it is. He jumps out of the boat, he swims to shore. Jesus, I'm so sorry. I should never have done what I did. Jesus puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, but I need you to be strong now. All is forgiven. It's never too late to ask Jesus to intervene, to help, to be the blessing that you're called to be. Jesus is dying on the cross. Two thieves on either side of him. One is heaping on insults, and the other says, leave that man alone. He's a righteous man. He's done nothing to be where he's at. Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus looks at him and says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. No, it's never too late for Jesus. There's nothing you can do in your life that would distance you from Jesus where it's an insurmountable space. What if you're in your own life? What if... What if it's not too late for you? With whatever your struggle is, wherever you find yourself this morning, what if it's not too late? What if Jesus truly is enough? What if you don't have to be who you've been your whole life for the past metaphoric 38 years? What if you and I made a decision to listen to the voice of Jesus and embrace the grace, mercy, and forgiveness that he has for each and every one of us? Would life be different? Would it be exciting? Would it be a blessing? And the answer is yes to all of that. When we choose to follow Jesus Christ, there is risk involved for certain. There are going to be friends and family who may scoff, who may say, no, you'll never change. And Jesus says, let me take your hand. It's time for you to get up and walk. I'm going to invite Steve and the praise team back to the stage at this time. Our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And my guess is some in here may need prayer. Maybe over your parenting, maybe over your marriage, maybe over sin that's going on in your life. And I want to encourage you as we sing this song that you would go to our shepherds and let them pray for you, with you, and over you. That you would take hold of what Jesus Christ wants to do for you today and not lay there by the pool anymore, but take up your mat and walk. Embrace the blessing that God has for you through his son, Jesus Christ. He desperately wants to reach out and journey with you in this moment of your life. Don't leave here without saying yes to Jesus Christ. It's time to stand up, pick up, and walk up. Let's stand and sing together.